you know, there are times where I'm always, always excited to get up here. I really am. And I don't, I don't, I'm not just saying that, but there are times where there's a little extra, I don't know, a little oomph in my step, if you will, because, um, and I, I was actually thinking about it the last couple of days. Why are you so excited? And I, I think it's because the fact that we're going to look back a little bit this morning, but then also look forward. And I look back and I see all the things that God has done. Jen was just thinking, thinking about it and talking about it. All the things that God has done in the past in your life. And you, you start to think about that. And you start to see how he's come through in so many ways and done so many dynamic things. And then you look forward and you're like, boy, the future looks really bright. And we all go through strains and struggles and challenges in our lives. and There are ups and downs. But if we look back sometimes at what God has done in our lives and we're looking forward and we're anticipating what he's going to do in our lives, it's just some, for me, it just got me all excited this week. So uh, this morning, we're going to finish off our series by design. And we're going to look at the fifth purpose. We went through five purposes, right? Worship, connect, grow, serve. And then today we're going to talk about reach, reaching the world. Reaching the world. So we have five purposes. And to help you understand the vision that I want to share with you this morning, I need to give you a little bit of background. This is where the excitement in the, in the past comes in. When Deb and I first moved here to Cincinnati in 1991, um, we, we asked God to give us a vision. We were in youth ministry. We asked God to give us a vision for what he wants us to do here in Cincinnati. Now, you know, we've done you we did youth ministry before, but when we when we when we landed here, we said do something new. Give us something new that you'd like us to accomplish and we prayed about it and we talked about it and we got our answer from God and it was to reach out to every single student in our targeted area. Which at that time, back in the early 90s, was about 10,000 students. And if we put a line there, we kind of drew a line around the people that we would be attracting to our church. And so we had that 10,000 students. So we kind of laughed a little bit because the church was only 125 people at that point that we were a part of. And and, uh, we didn't really, it was just the two of us. Um, but we said, you know what, Lord, if that's what you're calling us to do, you know, when you're, when you're a believer, sometimes, well, every time God says jump, you say how high. All right. And sometimes you can't see what God is ultimately going to do. And when God gives you a vision, you need to understand this clearly. When God gives you a vision, he usually doesn't tell you, okay, the middle part. All right. Because if he did, you'd probably not do it. You'd probably step back. Whoa, that looks a little challenging to me. If he told you all that you'd have to go through in order to accomplish that, you probably wouldn't do it. So God said to us, he said, you know, reach out to every single targeted student uh, student in our targeted area. So that's what we stepped out and we started to do. Well, in the very beginning, we only had a few students. But as we continue to go and push this vision forward, the student ministry grew and grew and grew. And we would have to recruit more and more adult volunteers. And at a certain point, we had about 80 to 100 adult volunteers. And we realized we can't even invest in the lives of the adult volunteers that we have, let alone all the students. So we started thinking to ourselves, how can we get more staff people to work with us? Well, I don't care how big your church is. It's very difficult to, to ask the church to, to, you know, to hire four or five, six, ten staff people just to work with the youth ministry. So we thought, here, why don't we do this? Why don't we go to some, some, uh, some nonprofits in the area, uh, student nonprofits, and, and talk to them about the fact that we could raise up adult leaders who would raise support 
and go on staff with those nonprofits, and then they would assign them back to the church to work with us within the youth ministry. So we went to Young Life, we went to Student Venture, we went to Youth for Christ, we went to YWAM and all the different organizations that were around here, and each of them said no, and for good reasons. I mean, this is not a criticism. They had, the, you know, they had a clear vision they were going toward, and uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now Crew, we got the furthest with them, but when it hit their administrative folks, they were like, this is a little out of our, you know, where we're, where we're headed. So they had to say no as well. So we said, well, we'll just kind of, st- we'll start our own. And so in, in, we started back-to-back ministries in 1995 and got our nonprofit status in 1996. And the idea there was to raise people, get people on staff, and then connect them with the body of Christ where they could then reach out and invest in the lives of adults and also the students that we were working with. So they, they started to do that. Um, and what we did was we hired campus directors. And our campus directors would stand back-to-back with the youth pastor, which at that point was me. And the campus directors were focusing on reaching, right? Going out into the community, going out into the schools, and reaching out to to kids maybe who didn't know Christ, and bring them within the body of Christ where they were under the influence, if you will, of the youth pastor and the people that were, were there. And so we could disciple those students. So through the campus directors and the youth pastor, we began to disciple those students that we were leading to Christ. And those students, then we, we encouraged them to go out and reach their friends. Not only reach their friends, though, we wanted them to reach out to their own community and serve the needy in their own community. We wanted them to serve the needy, the needy in inner city Cincinnati and around the world. So we take them on missions trips. And I got excited thinking about this because I was, li- I was looking back and thinking about what those students were able to accomplish. I remember in 96, they won, the students won the USA Today Make a Difference Day contest. Um, students, okay, these were students, built a daycare center in Over the Rhine. I don't know if you've been in Over the Rhine back in the 90s, early 90s. It wasn't this hip, cool place where all the, you know, people hung out. Right now, you know, down, downtown Cincinnati, in that area, Ray Street, Vine Street, now it's like one of the coolest places to live in America. It really is, where, you know, the movers and shakers and all that kind of thing. When I was taking students down there, we got there early in the morning and left there about 11 o'clock to avoid the drug dealers, okay, because they were still sleeping. But these students would go down there and they would serve and they, they built, they renovated a house for a woman who started a daycare center for other women who needed to go to work but couldn't afford daycare. And so this other woman would watch their kids and they could go to work and take care of their families. And the students did that. And students then, we we bought a couple of other buildings in downtown Cincinnati and they renovated those buildings and gave them to people in need, families in need. And I think back on that, I'm just absolutely awed by what high school students were able to do. You know, sometimes we say, you know, the the kids are the church of tomorrow. That's not true, okay? They're the church of today. And if you don't make them a part of the church of today, they won't be the church of tomorrow. So, you know, if you're a high school student here, don't think you're going to be sitting around. We're going to challenge you, okay? We're going to challenge you to live out what God has called you to do. But that's, that's what we were able to do. The vision was really simple. Okay? This is the vision that God gave us. To break down the high school into, into subcultures, if you will, or impact groups. An impact group is a group of like-minded students. The best way for me to describe this to you is go back in your mind when you were in high school. Now, you went into the lunchroom. You got your tray. What, where did you sit in the lunchroom? At what table? 
Because if you go into a lunchroom, even now, you're going to find that athletes, for the most part, okay, athletes and cheerleaders at one table. You're going to find people into computers and all that kind of stuff and gamers at this table. You're going to find people who love to work on cars and build muscle cars and race on this table. You're going to find the band kids over here and the drama and music kids over there. You're going to find the group that likes to do this over here. And the, the whole cafeteria is broken down into impact groups or student groups, if you will. And so what we were doing is we're saying, okay, how do we reach out to every one of those groups? And so, again, the campus director would be trained to go in. It would be like if if, uh, we're doing this now. So keep this in your mind. Whatever you did in high school, if you were a skater, for example, we would train you to reach out to that group of skaters that we had within our community. And you could speak their language, you built relationships. And so that's the way we kind of laid this all out. And some of the exciting things for me is we have elders in this church, we have staff in this church that were what used to be leaders in those impact groups. They were student leaders in those impact groups. Staff and elders in the church now. We have missionaries, we have pastors, we have um, marketplace leaders all over the world that were part of that of that ministry all over the world we have authors we have speakers i mean people doing in and and business people doing dynamic things for the kingdom of god who came out of that ministry and it's just exciting to think about so to build our model of outreach we asked one simple question okay Here's the question. If you get a pen, I want you to write this stuff down because this applies to everything we're doing within Grace Chapel. So I want you need to understand this purpose. Okay, we have five purposes. This one's reached the world. You need to understand this purpose. So here's the question we asked when Jesus walked the earth. How did he do it? How did he reach out? How did Jesus do ministry? Jesus had the same message, but a different approach depending on who he was talking to. All right. Same message, different approach to fishermen. He said, what? I'll make you fishers of men. Right. He talked about he didn't talk about vines and seeds and branches to fishermen. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. They clicked. They understood, spoke their language. He talked to others about farming. He talked about vines and seeds and branches. He would talk to different people. He talked to the rich. He talked to the, uh, the poor. He talked to the afflicted, afflicted. He talked to tax collectors, Pharisees and Sadducees, prostitutes, children. Same message, the gospel. He preached the same message to the people he was talking to, okay, but had a different approach depending on his audience. Same message, but a different approach. You got to get that in your mind. Okay, we have the same message. We're sharing the gospel, but you just don't you don't share the gospel with farmers the same way you share it with fishermen, the same way you share it with a prostitute, the same way you would share it with a Pharisee or Sadducee, the same way you'd share with a tax collector. Jesus had the same message, but a different approach. So you people will say sometimes, well, Jesus really had compassion on prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with sinners. That's absolutely correct. But here here's my point. Jesus treated prostitutes and tax collectors a certain way because when he got in front of them, they usually fell to their knees, right, and crawled over to him on their hands and knees, weeping on his feet and wiping his, his feet with their hair. And he would then lovingly help them up because they recognized their sin. And he wasn't going to, he said, yep, they recognize their sin. That's what Jesus wants. Repentance, recognition of sin, and being drawn into his grace. 
So he helped them up. Go and sin no more. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Why did he say that to them? Because he didn't like them as much as the prostitutes? No. He knew that they were arrogant, spiritually arrogant. There was such spiritual pride there. He was trying to shake them out of their spiritual pride because he wanted them to come to him as well. Same message, but a different approach depending on who Jesus was talking to. Okay, so we have that part down. Now, Paul was one of the, or the most, the the, the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. So we have to ask the question, if he was so effective, Paul was so effective, why was he so effective? What did he do? Okay, what what was his way of reaching out? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. Follow my example. That's what he says to us. He's saying to every one of you. All right, This is what Paul is saying through the, in the New Testament here. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Simple. That's Paul's strategy. I'm copying Jesus Christ. So, What was the example that he was asking us to follow? I want you to write these verses down. This is important, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Why is Paul doing what he's doing? To share the gospel. To share the love of Jesus Christ with a hurting world. So he wants to share the gospel to win as many as possible. I'm going to sacrifice myself to win as many as possible. He said to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have, listened to this, I have become all things to all people so that I may, by all possible means, might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Okay? Again, I'm going to go back to something else we talk about. If it's not sinful, it's... Say it loud. If it's not sinful, it's... Right. If it's not sinful, it's sacred. There's no such thing... Okay, now I understand why we use the term, but there's no such thing in a biblical worldview of, of, of sacred and, and secular. Okay? Secular in the Bible doesn't exist. If something's not sinful, it's sacred. So Paul is saying, I'm going to use every possible means to win people to Jesus Christ. The Jews have become like a Jew. Those who are weak, I become weak to win the weak. Why? To win as many as possible. So in, listen, okay, so in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 to 28, Paul is talking to the people of Athens. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And he says this, God did did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Listen to what he says. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Don't miss that. As some of your own poets have said, we are... 
how would Paul know what some of their own poets have said? He's quoting their poets, okay? How would Paul know what some of their poets have said? Paul uses athletic analogies all the time. Why? Why, why is Paul using these athletic analogies? He's, why is he, he's speaking their cultural language, all right? Think about where the Olympics came from. Think about all the, the sports that were going. Paul's speaking in those terms. He's speaking, he's kind of speaking their language, so Paul is following the model that Jesus Christ already set up. But there's one, there's a slight difference here between what Paul is doing and what Jesus did. All right. This is important for all of us to understand. Paul's not, Paul's not superhuman. Paul's a human being. All right. Jesus, on the other hand, is fully God and fully man. So in John chapter two, verses 24 and 25, it tells us this. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus knew what was in the heart of each person. There's the key. There's the difference. Jesus could walk into this sanctuary, and he would know your background, what your hurts are, why you act the way you act, why you behave the way you act. He would understand you. And so when he spoke to you, when he walked up and, well, woke up and spoke, spoke to people, he didn't kind of guess he would speak to their hearts and they would, they would say things like, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know what I mean? Because they'd be like, how the heck did you know that? So the, the difference here is that Jesus just knew it and Paul had to do something else. Paul had to do something else. If we are going to reach the people around us and we are going to reach our world, we need to fo- follow Paul's example by studying the culture. As some of your own poets have said, he knew before he got there. He studied the culture. He walked into different places and understood the way people lived their lives because he studied the culture. He wasn't Jesus. He wasn't omniscient. He didn't have all knowledge. And so what he did was follow the example of Jesus Christ. And he says to us, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We don't have the mind of God. We don't see into people's hearts. So what we need to do is study and understand the people around us so that we, if we need to sacrifice ourselves to give ourselves to them, to meet their needs. We need to become, if you will, students of the people around us. You want to be a great parent? You become a student of your child. You want to be a great husband or a great wife? You become a student of your spouse. You want to reach people for Christ? You become a student of the people around you. Jesus trained others who changed the world. And we got to ask, how do we become like those world changers? How do, how do we live a life like those world changers? How do we follow their example? So we need to answer the question, who has God? This is the question you need to answer individually this morning. Who has God put in your sphere of influence? Who has God placed in your sphere of influence? And how can you reach them with the love of Jesus Christ without, hear me out here, without compromising the word of God, without compromising the word of God. We got to differentiate here. All right. We are, this church is creative off the charts. We, we do things that, you know, that just are people like, what on earth? What, what are you doing? Because again, if it's not sinful, it's sacred. 
All right. So we're not afraid to step outside the box and we're not afraid to step outside the boundaries and things like that in creativity. But we need to make sure that we are not compromising the word of God. Many people today say they follow Jesus example, but in their interpretation, the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. My point, we cannot sin and we cannot compromise when we're sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others. We cannot sin and we cannot compromise the word of God. Paul did not say, okay, I get drunk to win the drunkards. I sleep around to really be able to relate with those people who are committing adultery. He didn't say that. Okay, he didn't do that. He would be, he'd say, I will become all things to all men. I will come out, I will step outside the boundaries. I will study culture. I will try to understand. I will do, I'll use apologetics. I'll do all those things, but I will not compromise the word of God. And we as a church will not compromise the word of God in order to, quote, reach out. My teacher at Nyack said this, my professor, and I say it a lot. I'm going to keep saying it. What you win people with is what you win them to. And if you win them with wishy-washy, it's all fun and games. When the tough days come, when the tough times come, they will not be able to stand up under the pressure of the challenges they have to face. What you win people with is what you win people to. Do not compromise the word of God. So now I want to switch gears a little bit. All right? I want to switch gears and get more specific. Because until something is specific, it will not be dynamic. And we need to continue to move forward in a dynamic way in this church and reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. So what are we doing in our church, through our church, in our community to reach people for Christ? What are we doing now? I want to kind of share that with you. What are we doing in this church to reach people in our community? So with the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to give you some very specific examples of how we are putting this incarnational vision into practice. When I say incarnational, it means when Jesus was here, how did he do ministry? So when I use the word incarnational, whenever I use that word, that's what I'm kind of talking about. When Jesus was here, how did he do it? How are we copying Paul who copied Jesus? All right. How are we doing that? In our culture... You need to earn the right to be heard. People don't want people banging on their doors and saying, hey, let me just tell you and talk. I, I don't have a relationship with you. I'm busy. I don't want to be bothered by you. In our culture now, people have to earn, you have to earn the right to be heard. You earn the right to be heard by meeting people's felt needs. Okay, what are their felt needs? What are they going through? What do they need? You try to meet those felt needs. And once you meet those felt needs, you earn the right to be heard. So what I want to do this morning is focus on two key areas as we close off here. I want to focus on two key areas that that we're 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 kind of living out within this body that we call Grace Chapel. Now, there's more and we can't go into real depth this morning, but in the next series, we will. I'm going to I'm going to keep I'm going to roll things out in the next series. that will just be like, Ooh, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. All right. But I can't get into all those details now. First one in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God fearing Greeks. Listen, as well as in the marketplace day by day 
with those who happen to be there. All right. So Paul spent a lot. Paul spent a lot of his time reaching out to people in the marketplace. As a matter of fact, he spent most of his time like you do. All right. He spent most of his time in the marketplace and Paul saw his greatest results in the marketplace. Go read the New, go read the New Testament, okay? Because here's what happened. Paul is preaching in the synagogues. He's like, you know, if, you had, if I had a wall right here, it'd be like, bang, 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 bang. You know what I mean? It's like he's talking to the, in the synagogues and getting nowhere. And all of a sudden he goes, God's like, hey, can you just get out of this building and go out there? He gets out there in the marketplace and boom, watch what happens to the world. That's why we're pretty much sitting here. He gets out in the marketplace. He starts talking to people in the marketplace. Those people who would listen, he starts talking to them. Remember what he said. Paul said in first, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you look in the New Testament, ask yourself, where did Jesus spend most of his time? Right? Where did Jesus spend most of his time? You can find it's in the marketplace. So here's what I've done. I asked Chuck Proudfit. All right. I asked Chuck Prophet, one of our elders, to come up and share some creative ways that we can that we can that we can reach out to the marketplace. So here I got these stools up here. I want to have you guys. And Andy Andy Kimer is going to come up as well because I have a few questions for him. Spread these out a little bit. And I I want Chuck as one of our elders to share with us. Um, you know, Chuck, how how can we meet the felt needs of the people? who we spend most of our time with at work. How, when we, how can we kind of be like your, your terms, at work on purpose? How do we meet the felt needs of people in our workplace? Well, first of all, good morning, everybody. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about as Jeff was talking just a minute ago, that term marketplace, we often translate it today as business. But it actually is a lot broader than that. Yeah. It's where we work outside of what we might think of today as, as the local church or parachurch organization. So uh, business is part of that, but also government education. The statistics are that only about 5% of working Christians do bring faith into work. 95% of us separate them. We go to church on Sunday and work on Monday. And my experience over the years has shown me that there are a few key drivers for that. One of them is we don't think about faith as part of work, and so we're ignorant of the spiritual, the ministry opportunities that are in front of us at work every day. Another reason is that we're intimidated. This is a, a workplace today where if you're not careful, you can get in a lot of trouble expressing faith. And yet we're commanded to do that in Scripture. How do you reconcile those? And a third one is that we're ill-equipped. Even though we may know that there are spiritual opportunities, we aren't even sure how to get started. And so that's kind of the backdrop. We spend most of our waking hours at work, but how do we integrate faith with work? And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus lays out a very simple prescription, a four-step process to begin to integrate faith with work. So he's sending out the 70 disciples in work teams of two to go to surrounding towns and villages and share the good news of Christ. And essentially what he's saying is, is you show up in these places, give people a warm greeting. If they don't like you, then dust off your sandals and move on. But if they embrace you, if they give you a warm welcome, then hang out with them. Start to build relationships with them, uh, break bread with them, get to know them. 
And when you start to find out what's going on in their lives, not just the things that are going well, but the things that are problems, maybe some of those are at work, but some of those may be at home too. How can you help them? Mm -hmm. And it is through that help, it is through ministering to felt needs that we earn the credibility to speak spiritually into their lives. And they may come back to us and say, you really helped me out and you didn't have to do that. Why? And the minute they do, they've given you permission to speak spiritually into their lives, to proclaim Christ as the reason for your motivation. So those four steps are to bless the people around you at work every day. could be just a warm greeting to somebody when you walk in the door. To fellowship with them, to get to know them as people, not just uh, production units inside the office where you happen to work. To minister to felt needs which you may hear about at work, but they may not be limited to work. And how could you reach out and provide for them? And then proclaim Christ as the reason for your motivation. A very simple, quick example. My wife, who works at Procter & Gamble, had some folks that were there that were really struggling. There's an employee who had a spouse who was ill, uh, and she runs the, the ministry here that brings meals to people who have you know health issues or, or whatever. And so she said, well, I'm just going to use the same system that we have at Grace Chapel to help people in the congregation, and I'm going to help that person at work. That was a way of ministering to felt needs, and sometimes it can be that simple. I love that because then, you know, because we have we have a church here, right? So if one of you gets sick and we know about it, we can provide those meals for weeks sometimes. But what about a person who like has cancer and they're at work and they're having taken their spouse to the doctor? Who's taking their spouse to the doctor? What if they live? What if they moved here from out of town? There's no relatives. You know what I mean? They're new to the area. Who's going to take them? Who who's going to bring meals to them? But if you come around them with the love of Christ in that way, you you earn the right to be heard. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about here. I love that. Yeah. So often these are people who would never set foot inside a local church. Right. But the church, which is the body of believers, it's all of us, we can step foot in their cubicles. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Chuck. That's great. Um, before I move on to Andy, grab it. You can, you can take it, Andy. But, um, uh, you know, Chuck is, um, is the founder at Work on Purpose. He's one of the elders here at Grace Chapel. Very engaged, completely enmeshed, if you will. He's like my partner in crime when it comes to the marketplace ministry side of things, too. Um, if you have questions, if you'd like to go into greater detail about, you know, how can I be more effective at work when, with my faith and I, and I struggle in this or I'm not really sure, grab him and talk to him because he would love, honestly, he'd love to share with you some ways that you can do that. He's got material put together that we've done here at the church already, but, you know, he's a great resource um, to connect with. All right, so Andy, the, the most reverend Andy Keimer. Andy got ordained yesterday, so he's a reverend now. It's like, mm-hmm. thank you. Yes. So he wants you to call him the most high reverend from here on out, um, even the students. Uh, no. Uh, and, hey, and you didn't get stumped once yesterday, which is really important to me because if you if you look bad, it would have reflected on me, man. So I was like, I was like that was yes. my motivation. Don't yes, exactly. <laughs> so here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me how you, okay, are reaching out to our community and school, okay? How are you and the youth ministry reaching out to our community and the schools around us? Yeah, so Jeff had the opportunity to share a little bit about that, the, the lunchroom metaphor that um, we've tried to incorporate that into our youth ministry. And specifically, we have groups um, ultimately just trying to identify what the culture is of the students out there. So we have a student athlete group called Athlete Impact. 
our youth ministry band has grown to a point where we have the potential to have two bands, almost three bands. So we have a music group. We have a video game impact group uh, that Danny Kramer is leading that's drawing 25 to 30 kids within his community. Um, we have a CrossFit group. We have a Ultimate Frisbee. Um, we have multiple groups. And where I specifically is leading, since kind of my history is at athletes and sports and stuff like that, we've had the opportunity to get very involved and start to lead um, Mason High School's Athlete Impact, which started here. 13 years ago, and it's kind of been out in the community, but it ultimately every Wednesday night, anywhere from 60, they've had times they've had 120 kids um, in a house on Wednesday night, and it's about an hour and a half, and it's an opportunity really just to connect with them. Um, it's, you know, it's 15 minutes where there's a speaker that kind of connects their faith to, to sports or athletics, but ultimately it's identifying, hey, this is what this group of kids enjoy. They enjoy being around each other. They have the same similarities. They're willing to come, and we just build relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, we also started an impact group at Mason Middle School, and we, for our first athlete impact, now that's more leadership, uh, but it does give us the ability to connect those kids to our high school athlete impact group. Uh, our first club, we had it this past Thursday, I think we had 76 kids come to it. Wow. So it's an opportunity to get in the schools and just get wow. relational. And then ultimately, kind of what Chuck was sharing in terms of work, connecting them to the church. So after first service, we already had someone that wants to start an athlete impact group at Lebanon. Um, so oh, wow. It's our goal really just to build relationships with the kids, um, not be preachy or anything like that. Because what we do offer in terms of sometimes what the kids call church is we have Wednesday night youth group, Sunday night youth group, and Sunday morning. And often we find that kids are either intimidated or they're just not comfortable in that setting. And we also find that close to 90% of kids, once they leave to go to college, uh, they don't really have a connection and they ultimately kind of falter or lose their faith. So it's our goal through these impact groups is to connect them to a group where they feel comfortable, they want to come to, um, mm -hmm. and then ultimately lead them to Christ. So to a couple other things. Um you, I think you are now the chaplain for... I'm the chaplain for... Um, well, Mason football has a varsity team chaplain and a leadership coach. I am doing that with the middle school teams and the freshman teams. So about two or three times a week, I'm in front of them, you know, giving a leadership lesson, or I'm also sharing, you know, just small little faith components. So that that's about 150 kids mm -hmm. on a weekly basis uh, that I get the opportunity to connect with. And how about the um, kids with uh, special needs? Special needs. Last year we started uh, what we, you know, a special needs ministry. And um, there are some of our impact groups we feel are really established. Others are starting to grow. So as you hear this, if you want to help with them, um, we started our special needs Easter egg hunt last year, which, you know, we weren't sure what was going to happen with that. But then we ended up having over 100 families yeah. that came. Uh, we're we're getting off the ground with our buddies program to provide here at the church. Um, we want to offer, um, during the Harvest Fest, space for families with special needs children that, you know, they come and feel comfortable and feel invited and feel a part of the community. Uh, we actually had a dance class this summer <laughs> right out here in the hallway where we thought, okay, four or five kids. We had, I think, 26 kids in there dancing, um, and it was really, really incredible. Were you dancing? Were you? I was not dancing. Okay. Yeah. Nor would anyone want to see me. <laughs> 
dance. But uh, but it, it really is fascinating. And kind of the last thing that with Athlete Impact last year, some of the other leaders or the McDonald's that, that hosted, they asked the seniors if they could share, you know, you don't have to share, but just share how it has been impactful to you. Um, and you had some that really knew God, but this was an opportunity to really grow in their faith. But then you had others that literally came there because it was their friends and there was food. And they ultimately now are believers. So, it, you know, just getting your foot in the door, kind of what um, everyone was talking about, sure. gives you that opportunity to build relationships and who knows where it can go. Excellent. All right. Anything else you want to share? No, thank awesome. you. Awesome. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, Reverend Keimer. That was really good. I appreciate it. <laughs> Tell you, he did great. He really did yesterday. It was it was cool to watch him answer those questions and yeah, definitely. In January, uh, we'll do a, we'll do an ordination service uh, one Sunday morning in January and kind of bring everyone together and, and make a and continue to move forward on that. But um, if you want to be involved in the marketplace ministry here at Grace Chapel, we need people who are going to work with Jobs Plus, where we train people who are out of jobs right now. So maybe some people in the food pantry are looking for jobs. We're going to do Jobs Plus. We're going to train those folks to find good jobs. Um, we also need um, business mentors. We do a lot of incubation acceleration at the Orca Center, and we need people to come alongside of these young entrepreneurs or even older entrepreneurs and just help and invest in their businesses so they'll be successful um, in what they do. And then also, if you'd like to serve at the Orca Center, you know, we, the Orca Center is open now, you know, six days a week and there's people in there all the time. It's really growing. Um, they always need help with people in there just kind of helping out in just a host of different ways. So um, here, here's, here's one last thing I want to I talk to you about. And now as you've gone through this in your mind, right? We've gone through all this when, you know, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you should be thinking, what can I do? What has God gifted me to do? What are some opportunities that I could, how can I use the gifts, talents, abilities that God has given me to reach out to the people around me? How can I maybe study the culture or get to know? When I say study the culture, what Paul did, just get to know the people around you and find out their felt needs. We need all of us in the body of Christ, okay, need to be thinking this way. How do we think this way? We've got Andy Keimer, one of our pastors now, uh, doing a phenomenal job reaching out to our children's ministry and our youth ministry. Our adult ministry is going exceptionally well. But one of the things we talked about at the elder board level and at the staff level and leadership, we went through and kind of we sat down and we walked through, OK, what are some things coming up? What do we want to do in 2018? And one of the things we said actually two years ago is we said 2017 needs to focus more children and youth and get that completely solidified and strong, and I would say that we are very, very strong in that area. If you have a child, okay, coming up, you should be getting goosebumps right now thinking about Andy and our entire youth staff. We have more than just Andy um, working with your children. It's, 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 your, your future looks bright. But we also have adult ministry, and we have some dynamic adults, and we're doing dynamic things, but we thought, what if we were able to hire someone else who could work directly with the adults and the leaders that we already have and, and kind of enhance it and keep going and take this vision that we just cast this morning and put it on steroids, if you will. And so I want to just announce to you this morning, with my excitement, that we are hiring David Vermach. Many of you know David. He goes to church here. Yes, yes, you can clap. Yes. 
Um, David Vermock will be starting in October. I'm not going to get him up here this morning because I want to wait. In the next couple weeks, I'm going to do what we did with, uh, with Andy, which is have him come up, take a few minutes and just share, give a little background, you know, what is about his heart, his desires for the church, um, and just give you a chance to get to know him a little better and connect with him a little more. But David will be coming on in October. And my friends, we're going to take this vision that we just laid out and... I, I can say this with real enthusiasm. I feel like I am, I am surrounded. I don't feel like I am surrounded with the greatest staff of people I've ever worked with in my entire life. These people are, our staff is absolutely incredible. I love every single one of them. Every single one of them works hard. They understand the vision. They have a desire to move this church forward. We have a phenomenal staff and we are extremely healthy as a church. So I'm going to challenge you one last time this morning. Understand the vision. Commit it to your mind, okay? Get the CD out there. When I send out the This Week with Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff, uh, photocopy that. Have it with you. Study it. Understand it. And then use it, okay, to impact this world for Jesus Christ. We've given you the tools. We've given you the staff. Their job is not to do the work. It's to invest in you so that you're doing the work of ministry. We talked about that last week. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this incredible day, this incredible time that we can spend together. And God, thank you. I praise you. We praise you for all you're doing through this church, the lives that are being touched, the people that are being reached. And God, we're just scratching the surface. And we know that you can do immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine. And Lord God, we are asking and imagining a lot. So we anticipate what you're going to do with enthusiasm and excitement. And God, we pray that all the glory and all the praise, all the praise and all the glory for everything that we have done, are doing and will do will be yours. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.